Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are... Will the NBA Finals be set by the time we hit Memorial Day weekend? Plus, how the Tampa Bay Lightning made it to yet another Conference Finals. And... What to expect with Colin Kaepernick's workout with the Las Vegas Raiders. It's episode 74 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Hello once again, everybody, here on Thursday, May 26th, 2022, episode number 74, 74 episodes of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you are getting this podcast. I hope everyone for this upcoming weekend has a very happy and safe Memorial Day weekend, the unofficial start of summer. And I know around here, I am tired of 50-degree temperatures and 60s. 60 degree i'm looking for the ideal temperature of sunny and 75 that way instead of sleeping in my bed after my overnight shifts over at weei radio i can take my naps on the beach which would be ideal (laughs) that would be the ideal situation for me so i'm very much looking forward to memorial day weekend whatever you are doing if you're lighting up the grill with some family or hitting the hitting the ocean with your friends Hope you do it safely, and maybe you'll use this podcast as something to listen to, you know? Get your fill of sports in time and in time again. Uh, I am going to apologize out front if uh, I seem a little little groggy and coming off of the back half of a cold a little bit. We're almost there. Sinuses, I'd say, are about 80% clear right now, so we're not not fully out of it yet, but there might be a couple of times here and there I got to clear my throat get a little cough in there. Uh, So I'm going to apologize for that if that disrupts the podcast at all. But also my throat has been a little sore from cheering for the Boston Celtics, obviously, with the uh, Eastern Conference and the Western Conference Finals getting fully underway. And we are getting close to the end. We are very, very close to the end. And at the bare minimum by Sunday, the East Finals will come to an end. And by Monday, the West Finals will come to an end. Uh, That's what I believe. Yes, So because tonight is game five between Warriors and Mavs, and it's every other day. So uh, the NBA Finals will get started, though, a week from today. So we will have a full preview of the NBA Finals on next week's episode. But let's start with the here and the now and talk about the Conference Finals. Starting in the East with the Heat and the Celtics, I think, you know... This has probably been one of the more unique series that I can remember in a very, very long time. I mean, from my personal knowledge, the way the series has gone, I'd compare it to probably 2018, the East Conference Finals between uh, Celtics and Cavs when it was basically, you know, each home team won by double digits each time. It was competitive, but I don't think it was anywhere close to what this series is. I mean, this series has been blowout city between these two. I mean, each team has led by 20, at least 20 in each game. So it's not like you can say, Oh, one team has the advantage over another because it's almost like whoever has the fewest amount of poor stretches is going to win that game. And um, last night it turned out to be the Celtics having a 24 to two run in that third quarter and into the fourth that gave them the advantage. But to look at both teams, and we'll get into more of the uh, Celtics a little bit later when we get into let's get local. Um, But just overall between the two, I do, I thought it was going to be more competitive just because I thought both teams were so evenly matched, but Miami just, I mean, everyone's been banged up in this series. There's injuries on both sides, but I just think, 
I think right now Miami is just too banged up to hang around. I mean, they've got basically half of their rotation dealing with injuries right now. You got Jimmy Butler with a knee injury. Kyle Lowry is dealing with a hammy. Tyler Hero has been out with a groin uh, for the last two games. Max Struess is hurting. P.J. Tucker is hurting. And then the guys who are healthy and who don't have any kind of injury problems or have had injury history recently just aren't getting it done. I mean, look at, you know, Max Struess. I put him on the list, but he's 0 of 16 in the last two games. This was a guy, me personally, I was singing the praises. I thought he was absolutely huge. Uh, for what Miami did up to this point. And, you know, Gabe Vincent isn't hitting the uh, tough shots. Duncan Robinson seems nowhere to be found as compared to his first couple of years uh, with Miami. Um, that That's just what I'm seeing with the Heat on that side of things. And honestly, like aside from the injuries too, I just think they're getting away from what made them a really good team. Now they they do have some good knockdown shooters, um, and then we saw it in the regular season when they were able to balance it out. But I think in this series in particular, what helps them so much is having Bam Adebayo be that focal point. I mean, look at game three in this series. You know, Bam Adebayo was not shying away at all from being aggressive and getting into the paint. He put up 31 points uh, and 10 rebounds, but those 31 points came on 22 shots. He had 22 shots individually in that game. Over the past two games, game four and five, a combined total of 20 shots. So he took more shots in one game than he has in the past two games combined. And you look at the paint, they have the advantage. Uh, clearly, uh, in offensive rebounds last night, they were 19 to six in advantage. <clears throat> and then uh, they still continued to go to the three point line. They were seven of 45, hoping something would strike. So that poor first quarter that we saw in game four eventually carried over into the third quarter of game five last night. So I don't know what Miami was doing with um, not going to Bam out of bio. I don't know if it's, you know, Eric Spolster's strategy or if it's just Bam himself not uh, taking into uh, account for himself because, you know, in game three, Robert Williams didn't play. Now Robert Williams is in the lineup and Bam seems to just back out and doesn't want anything to do with that because he has the fear of it getting rejected. You put along uh, Al Horford with uh, being a, a tough physical body uh, against him. So I don't know what's going on with Bam Adebayo, but for the Heat to be uh, to stay in this series, Adebayo's got to get more aggressive. And I think that's where the offense should start and where it should end because Jimmy Butler <coughs> is not taking the shots that uh, we've seen him normally take. You know, he's not taking threes. He would much rather get to the basket than sort of go for these mid range uh, kind of things. And that's sort of playing into the Celtics hands defensively. The fact that they're giving them this space and they're sort of, um, they, they know what's happening. They know Tucker likes to hang into the corner and then drive it to the middle. They know that, uh, Robinson and Struess and Vincent want to shoot. Um, they know Lowry uh, is struggling offensively. So it's playing into the Celtics hands. And if that continues, then this game and this series is going to be over by Friday night. And the Celtics are going to clinch on their home court, which honestly, that's what I am predicting <laughs> between uh between this two, uh, these two teams. I think the series is going to end by Friday. The Celtics are going to lock it up just because they have, I think, they're the better team. And really, you know, I'll dive into it more, as I said, but the Celtics just shoot themselves in the foot. And you could arguably say that this should be a sweep or at least a five-game series because you look at game one, you take away that third quarter, you take away the... Um, the first quarter of game three and this Celtic team could be up, you know, three, one at the minimum. Um, and the series should be over by today. Um, but you know, I think the Celtics, um, I, I think they're going to win the series. I think they just, I think they've smartened up. They finally won back-to-back -back games when they needed to, uh, they did it in last series against the bucks. They're doing it this series. 
And I think having the home court, you know, the garden, as I, as I said last week, the garden is one of the uh, loudest places. I was there firsthand. One of the loudest places to play a playoff game, regardless if it's a hockey game or a basketball game or whatever it is. So I like the Celtics to end this series by Friday. The Celtics are going to finish off the heat. They're going to get to the NBA finals for the first time in 12 years, but NBA finals, we'll have to see who they're playing up against because we could have the other series in the West. end by the time this episode comes out with golden state being up three to one over the Dallas Mavericks right now. And just looking at game four from the other night, I just, I didn't really see a sense of urgency really from the Warriors in game four in Dallas. I mean, you had Steph Curry, who was the leading scorer with 20 points. Um, they just were kind of a little reckless and careless with the ball. Clay Thompson had 12. Andrew Wiggins had 13. You know, <laughs> it just it looked like um, there was really no, as I say, sense of urgency. And there was no kind of, there was no one on the sidelines sort of saying, oh, we should end this sweep. We should end it in a sweep right then and there. You know, there was no real panic for when it got to the second quarter and the Mavericks started to get hot offensively. There was no one really looking, oh boy, we really got to try and turn things around. You know, the Warriors know that they have four games to work with and all they got to do is win one of them. Um, But tonight's going to be very, very important for Golden State because then if they don't win, the three to one comebacks are going to start creeping into their head a little bit. Obviously everyone knows the three one comeback by Cleveland in the 16 finals team and that core of Curry Thompson and green were all a part of it. So they know that they don't want those things sort of creeping back in. So I think they have to win tonight to lock up this series. You know, I would still favor them over these next couple of games, but I think part of it is that you have to try and dominate the paint. That's how they uh, played so well at the beginning of this series is Kevon Looney, you know, who would have thought he would have been the most integral part of this series. I mean, look at game one and game two, the fact that they were able to dominate the paint because no one on the Mavericks had the physical presence or the size that Kevon Looney provides. Now, is Looney going to give you that for, you know, 40 minutes out of the game? No, but just his presence alone opens the door up and spaces the floor for Wiggins to come out and put up another 30 Thompson and Curry to shoot very well. Jordan Poole coming off the bench. I think just the presence alone helps them out. But for Dallas on Dallas's side of things, it goes back to what we said in the Phoenix series that they have to do. Luka Doncic is a scoring machine. He can take the bulk of that offense. I mean, Look at what he's done in this series so far. He's averaging 33 points on 43% field goal shooting, over nine rebounds and six assists in these first four games. But it's everyone else around him. Exactly what Jason Kidd said is that at the beginning of the series against Phoenix for Dallas was that someone else other than Luka Doncic has to join the party. And, you know, we saw that in game four with Dorian Finney-Smith putting up 13, Reggie Bullock putting in 18, Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie came off the bench with, I think, 14 points. So it's consistent scoring. It's not just, you know, three guys in 20 points. The scoring has to be spread out, you know, thoroughly. That means Maxi Kleba has got to put in double digits. Davis Bertans has got to put in double digits. Jalen Brunson obviously has to continue uh, his hot offense in the postseason so far. And not only that, but I think they've sort of got to stray away from the three-pointer. Because, I mean, yeah, they shot great in game four. They were 20 of 43. But you're not going to make 23 pointers every single game. You're not going to make 20 every single time. So it's a matter of spreading out the scoring and finding different ways to score. And, you know, can Dallas do it? Honestly, I don't think so. I think Golden State is going to end this series. I think they're going to end it tonight. And by the time this episode comes out, the series will have already been over and we will see a Golden State Warriors finals appearance once again. (laughs) I know it's becoming like a broken record, but I mean, it's only been it's only been since 2019 that they've been in the NBA finals. Um, So it hasn't been too long, but it has felt like an eternity considering how frequent they went, you know, with those five straight years. Um, So 
That those are my predictions. I'm I'm predicting that before the Memorial Day weekend even gets started, you know, before we get into Saturday, I think we will see ourselves with a Golden State and Boston NBA Finals matchup. But regardless of what happens, I'm looking forward to at least seeing some competitive games and seeing some fight between the final four teams for the championship. with the playoffs and look at the NHL because the semifinals and the Stanley Cup playoffs are in full swing. And honestly, those are the ones that are most compelling considering the series in the NBA right now is just blowout, blowout, blowout between those two. Um, So let's get into the semifinals and talk about the team first. That was the first to qualify for the conference finals. And that was the Tampa Bay Lightning. Once again, they're in the conference finals as they make easy work of the Florida Panthers in a four-game sweep. And when you look at each game, it was fairly easy fairly easy for Tampa, I would say. Um, but I think, you know, I, I say it week after week about Tampa, is that they just have a ton of championship experience. They've got guys who have been here before, you know, uh, with Kucherov and Stamkos and Maroon and Palat, you know, everybody. But the MVP I'm saying of this past series was Andre Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky was huge for Tampa in this series. Absolutely huge. I mean, look at what he did in uh, the four games for uh, Tampa in this series. You know how many goals he allowed in four games? Three. Three goals allowed in four games, a 981 save percentage. So it's not like the Panthers weren't getting shots up at all. They were still attacking and attacking and attacking. Vasilevsky was just right there holding his ground. So I give my MVP trophy in that series to Vasilevsky. And I think he's going to be huge uh, depending on who Tampa plays in uh, the Tampa Bay, the Eastern conference finals, you know, whether that be Carolina or New York, I think he's going to be absolutely huge. Um, But then on the other side for the Panthers, I mean, this was the number one team overall, but they just couldn't sustain their starts. You know, I I said coming in to uh, the playoffs that the defense was going to be a little, you know, susceptible. You know, this is a team that can score, but when they don't score, you know, are they going to be able to stop anybody? You know, they had their struggles uh, with the Capitals uh, in the first series and then obviously getting swept here. So I think they got to, they got to find some more defenders. in the uh in the offseason they gotta find they gotta find some more defenders someone who can uh really attack in the blue line and in the neutral zone um because we know they have the offense we know for sure um and then just you know they gotta learn to play a consistent uh 60 minutes you know they couldn't sustain the starts you know they could put one or two up on the board but that doesn't mean the game is totally over you got to continue to find those insurance goals and uh don't let tampa try and get back into this series, but I get full credit to the lightning for once again, making it back to the conference finals. And now it's just kind of a wait and see. Um, would I call them the favorites right now? I would call them the favorites in the East. Um, you know, depending on looking at the, the next series that we're going to talk about the hurricanes and the Rangers, uh, considering the way those two are playing, but, um, I think it's going to be really tight, whoever it is, but at this moment, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like saying Tampa or the field. Um, And I still put my money on the field to win the Stanley cup, but to represent the East, I would still, I would now, I would now favor Tampa to, to be totally honest. I just think they have, they have a lot of experience. They've been here before and uh, they know how to turn on the gas when it comes to uh, postseason play. So I like what the lightning are going to do. I do like them a lot over uh, either Carolina or New York, as I said, because it's basically the same script for the hurricanes uh, that they had in their Bruins series. Now with the Rangers series, they win the first two at home, then they get totally outmatched on the road. Um, but in this series, you know, because I'm not going to say it's going to be the exact same thing that the hurricanes did against the Bruins in their series, because I think the difference between the Rangers and the Bruins is that 
New York has a stronger uh, defensive pairing, you know, all down their lines. And really the one guy you could look at is Adam Fox. I think um, he's a great defender, obviously. He can shut down in the neutral zone and he can block shots, but he can also score. So I think when you have a two-way player like that on the defense, I think that's a big advantage for the Rangers. And obviously they got to win one on the road and whoever wins one on the road is going to have the major advantage. But again, like I talked about the goalie for Tampa, I got to talk about the goalie for New York. Igor Shesterkin has basically put his uh, performance against the Penguins in the rearview mirror. And you take away the two games in Carolina. Um, you know, he's only allowed two goals each uh, in those road games. So it's not like he's had a totally horrible uh, series. It's just New York has a hard time scoring on the road. So I think Shesterkin, you know, as, not compared to the previous series, I think you don't got to worry about him at all against Carolina because he is going to limit the Hurricanes as much as he can. You know, all New York has to do is just find different ways to score. Um, not necessarily at home because they're totally fine at home in Madison Square Garden, but they got to do it on the road someone's got to go on the road and win a game and I think whoever does that is going to have a huge advantage and obviously it plays into Carolina the fact that they have home ice because if it goes to a game seven then it will be on their home ice it'll be on their home ice so they could totally say oh all we gotta do is just play our best at home Uh, but for New York I think they have the you know it is 2-2 now they gotta win I think they got to win tonight. I think tonight is absolutely huge if the Rangers want to win this series. You know, similar to um, Dallas um, in the NBA. You know, they got to win on the road, and they got to get the series um, more competitive than it has been because it's essentially, you know, a tale of two teams. And that's it says more about the Hurricanes than it does about the Rangers, the fact that they're basically two different teams when they play on their home ice versus on someone else's ice. So I would still, I think if the Rangers can win tonight, I will favor them to win this series because hurricanes haven't won a single game on the road and they're supposed to be a top two team uh, seating wise in the Eastern conference. So, you know, that's, that's kind of a wait and see for me on Carolina's side of things. You know, I'm not fully sold on them yet. If they can even, uh, get to the Stanley cup if they get out of this series. Cause you know, Tampa is just as good a road team as they are home team. So we'll have to see what happens uh, between those two, but let's shift over to the West. And I think maybe one of the more compelling series uh, all postseason has been Colorado and St. Louis. And obviously last night you had drama everywhere with the avalanche leading three Oh, and then losing five, four in overtime. And honestly, if you ask me, the series should have ended. It should have ended last night uh, against St. Louis. It should have been four to one. And we'd be talking about Colorado being in uh, the Western Conference Finals. But obviously, the headline has been about uh, no Jordan Bennington. Obviously, if you've seen the video, it's Nazem Kadri running into him. Uh, and now Jordan Bennington is out for the entire series for St. Louis. And You know, I'm sorry for all of you who are St. Louis Blues fans, but there is nothing dirty about what Kadri did to Jordan Bennington. When you look at the video, he and the defender, I believe it's Perrin, were both going at the puck, and they both kind of, you know, Perrin, he didn't give him an intentional bump, but he just kind of knocked him off his course, and that led Kadri into Bennington, and he just couldn't stop himself, essentially. So sorry, uh, Blues fans out there. Uh, stop with the racist comments. Start. Stop with the death threats to Nazem Kadri. Is he a dirty player? Yes, he is. But there was nothing dirty about that play. That just annoys the heck out of me. The fact that you know one unintentional thing happens, you know, and all of a sudden someone's getting death threats. Okay, that's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And whoever did that, whoever made those comments and those death threats, should be ashamed absolutely ashamed of themselves but talking about the play on the ice i i just see too much scoring on colorado side of things i that that's what i see they are just 
a dominating presence on the ice. I give credit though to St. Louis for hanging around. You know that that's what I'm gonna that's what I'm gonna give total credit to because this is a St. Louis team, as I've said a while back, it's only three years removed from a Stanley Cup. So they have this championship mindset and they're not going to go away quietly. I don't think anyone expected that. Um, but I think at home, it's going to be absolutely uh, huge for St. Louis to win this game, obviously because their season's on the line. Um, but if they get it to a game seven, like we saw in their previous series, you get it to sort of a winner take all kind of situation um, where the other, where the favorite has their backs against the wall and they play on their heels that favors the blues. So I, I don't see it happening though. I just think the avalanche with uh, McKinnon and um, all those guys uh, on Colorado, I, I just think it's too much. It's too much for St. Louis to overcome. And I think the loss of Bennington hurts because I think when Bennington's on his game, he's probably a top 10 goalie uh, in the NHL. But the problem is you don't have him, And I just don't see, I don't see St. Louis sort of sticking around with the avalanche um, you know, they did get five out of it, including the, in that overtime win, but are they going to be able to do that every game? I don't think that's possible. So just keeping up the scoring, uh, gives me, you know, it, it gives me a reason to believe that Colorado will, uh, win their game and win this series, get themselves to the conference finals. But the last series, you know, you save the best for last, the battle of Alberta between the flames and the Oilers. I mean, it's exactly what you think it would have been. Just intensity, competitive, you know, two teams just going right at each other. And I think it's been very, very entertaining. Very entertaining. And I believe it is Edmonton with a 3-1 advantage right now over the Flames. You know, similar to Colorado, I just think they have too many scoring weapons. And I think, you know, I, I do like the Oilers as an overall favorite to come out of the West because you already have, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Those two are scoring machines. But look at everyone else who's contributing for the Oilers. Evander Kane has five goals in the last two games. He's been a wrecking crew. Ryan Nugent Hopkins scored twice last night uh, for the Oilers in the previous game. Um, I think they do have to try, Calgary that is, they have to try and match every high-scoring period Edmonton has. Because that, A, that's how they won game one, and B, that's what it's going to take. Because the Oilers, once every game, put up two or three. They just have one high-scoring period that the Flames have got to try and match. And it doesn't matter where it comes from, but the fact is they've got to keep it close. They can't let the game get away. If it's within two throughout the whole 60 minutes, then they're good. Because... A team like this who gets that lead, you, you know, you know, a team like the Edmonton Oilers are just going to continue to pound the puck into the net. And honestly, you know, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think if the Oilers do get out of this series, I would favor them uh, in the conference finals and for them to get to the Stanley cup, I think between them uh, and either the avalanche or the blues. You know, that's what I think, you know, but we're still we're still talking about the conference finals here. OK, there's still tons of twists and turns still to come before we get down to the final four. Outside of the playoffs, there's still so much more to talk about in the sports world. So let's get into it rapid fire style with this week's edition of Quick Hits. And we start in the NFL with Colin Kaepernick getting a workout for the first time since 2017. And who is the team working them out? The Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders hosted Kaepernick uh, earlier in the week, and there are talks about what will happen now that Kaepernick worked out with the Raiders. Now, you know, for I'm the first one to say that 
Kaepernick should still be in the NFL to this day. You know, I don't care if he's on the bench or uh, a backup or a third string. I don't care. You know, the fact that he got blackballed by Roger Goodell in the NFL was absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, And it's now taken five years for someone to say, hmm, let's take away the social justice side of things. The fact that he almost put our league in a downfall. Um, He's a good player. He's a good quarterback. I mean, this is a this is a guy who led the 49ers to the Super Bowl in his rookie year. Rookie year. You know, he overcomes out, uh, overtakes Alex Smith, and he leads the 49ers to a Super Bowl. Now, for those of you who are big fans of Kaepernick, I hate to disappoint you, but I don't really see much coming out of this. Not really. I mean, first off, the guy is 34 years old. When you get past 30, that's the danger zone for most quarterbacks, you know, if it starts that downward trajectory. Another thing is that he hasn't played competitive football in six years. He hasn't played in a game uh, since 2016 with the 49ers. You know, he didn't go to the CFL or he didn't play in the XFL or the USFL. Hasn't played competitive football at all. And on top of that, he won't have that sort of same explosiveness that he had. You remember a guy, you know, when he was with the 49ers, he had the size and he could run you know, you know, he he was right up there with Cam Newton uh, in terms of speed and those long strides that he had. So I don't think he's going to have the same explosiveness. And then also when you look at the depth chart that the Raiders have, you already have Nick Mullins and Jared Stidham to back up Derek Carr. So, you know, unless Mullins or Stidham possibly gets hurt, then you could see a possible signing. But I really don't see uh, anything coming out of Kaepernick's workout with the Raiders. Sticking though in the NFL, we had voluntary OTAs begin for most teams this past week, and everyone wants to talk about who's there and who's not there. First off, let's not go crazy. These are voluntary OTAs, and it feels like we have this conversation year after year after year about who's not there and who is there. Guess what? Guys don't have to go, and they don't have any any problems at all, you know? Uh, but, of course, this year's list of absences includes Debo Samuel, Kyla Murray, Lamar Jackson, of course, Debo with the trade request, and then contract extension talks uh, between Jackson and the Ravens and Murray and the Cards. Listen, let's not read into too much about this, okay? Voluntary OTAs. That does not mean they're not going to be committed at all they will be committed by the time we get to mandatory mini camp that's the key word mandatory okay let's not overreact so anyone who wants to create a story out of this yes there are some disagreements but eventually when that time comes around the players will be there for their team back to the world of golf and the pga championship Started off a little slow. Everyone struggled with the conditions down there in Oklahoma with the wind and the rain. But in the end, it was Justin Thomas who won the PGA Championship in what I would call a spectacular fashion. This is a dude who trailed by seven strokes entering the final day of play on Sunday. Seven strokes he had to make up in what is a very difficult course, as I said, when you add on the elements brought on by Mother Nature. The fact that he was probably the best consistent golfer uh, on Sunday and that he won his first PGA Championship, uh, or I should say his first major since the 2017 PGA Championship. When he got it to a three-hole playoff with Will Zalatoris, he was able to win it over those three holes. But of course, the second big story out of that is the collapse by Mito Pereira. I mean, it was an absolutely horrific tumble on the 18th when you look at that video right off the drive i mean it just did not look pretty at all he had a one stroke lead he throws in a double bogey on the last hole and doesn't even make it to the playoff okay the drive was horrible when you look at the video he was completely off balance that thing was slicing like my tee shot and he was on his front feet he knew it right off the bat that it was just horrible he went right into the creek he had to drop and hit his third And when you see the structure of that hole, 
um, when you see the overlay of it, that's a hole you want to stay left at. Because when you go to the right, you got to try and hook it. You know, and that's what Pereira had to do when he was at the right. He tried to hook it, and then his uh, shot went on the green, but it was way, way, way off. And it eventually fell off of the green. And then when he had to chip it, it didn't break right, uh, left to right, and it goes all the way off the green. So, I mean, it was a collapse by Pereira, but credit to Thomas for a comeback that most golf fans will remember. In the world of baseball, this week's segment is about the Yankees. The top team in baseball, unfortunately, gets a big loss with Giancarlo Stanton landing on the injured list with an ankle injury. It's the 10-day IL, thank goodness, for Yankee fans. But this is just Stanton's legacy. He's a boomer bust player who always gets hurt. And, I mean, he continues to put up monster numbers, former MVP when he was with the Marlins. And since he's been to New York, he's been a home run and a strikeout guy. That's all it's been. He has these towering shots, uh, but then he also strikes out four times, four or five times. And that's really been the, the downfall for Stanton pretty much all his entire career. Now, this year, he's been great. He has been great for the Yankees. Him and Judge as that combo, I mean, they're both top five right now in home runs and in RBIs. So, I mean, those two are the main focal points as to why the Yankees have the best record in baseball right now at 31 and 13. But if Stanton continues to have these injury problems, you know, where does that leave Aaron Judge? Because he's not going to carry this thing on his own. Absolutely not. You know, Donaldson's not the same hitter. LeMahieu's not the same hitter. You know, the, the lineup is great for the Yankees, but we know that it runs through Stanton. It runs through Judge. So if Stanton can't stay healthy for at least, I would probably say a buck 40, a buck 40 if he's healthy and can play, then the Yankees are probably in a good spot. But other than that, you know, New York's just got to find different ways to win, and it's got to be without them. Finally, sticking in the New York suburb, you know, that kind of area, we go to basketball, and the headline off of the NBA Conference Finals is that the Nets are unwilling to offer Kyrie Irving a long-term extension. Now, I just want to speak for every fan who's not a fan of Kyrie Irving and say, duh. Of course you don't want to offer him a long-term extension. Look at what's happened over the last year with Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets. We even heard from Sean Marks. The GM says he wants guys who are committed. And Kyrie Irving has yet to be a committed guy to anybody on his whole career. He didn't commit to Cleveland when the going got tough. He didn't commit to Boston when he had to be a leader. And he hasn't committed to Brooklyn. He'd rather stay on his own morals and his own ego rather than contribute for the team. He he put his own personal agenda ahead of the team. And that just shows me again how important locker room culture means. It means much more than people think. You can have talented players, but if you don't have a locker room that's connected and a culture that's positive, then there's no shot that you win or even have championship aspirations. So that was the downfall of Brooklyn last year. The fact that so many guys, including Kyrie, had pieces coming in and out. And until Kyrie Irving says, yes, I'm committed, and he demonstrates that, then I don't see anyone offering him a long-term extension. So the report that the Nets are unwilling to offer an extension does not surprise me in the least bit. And that is a wrap-up on this week's edition of Quick Hits. time once again for our let's get local segment of the week and as i said last week we've got a special bonus episode coming out that regards our let's get local segment so everyone keep your eyes and ears posted hopefully within the next week or so we can make a formal announcement 
on what exactly the bonus episode is. But again, keep your eyes and ears posted. We've got a special bonus episode coming out. Getting back to this segment in particular, of course, everyone in Boston is so excited about the Celtics now being one win away from the NBA Finals. And speaking specifically about last night's Game 5 victory, listen, the best teams win ugly, okay? They win any way they can. They win pretty, they win ugly, they win neutral right in the middle. And this shows me how well this team is. The fact that they can overcome what was an absolutely horrible start to that game. You know, yes, it was low scoring the entire way, but it was just not pretty at all. I mean, 15 turnovers, which led to 17 Miami points, only 30% from three. It took four minutes into the second quarter for the Celtics to score their first points of that quarter, similar to what Miami did in the first quarter of game four. But again, overcoming what they did in the first half to have an extremely strong second half. And, you know, this is something that they can work on, obviously. You know, there's always room to improve. But this is something I've said months and months ago that, This is a team that's got to learn to play about 44 minutes of good basketball instead of, you know, 35 or whatever, you know, instead of playing one good half of basketball, it's a matter of playing 44. But when you can have that sort of, you know, where you're play where you're playing good basketball, when you have that sort of stretch of minutes of playing great basketball, that sort of nullifies it. So again, as I say, the best teams win ugly and that's what they did okay the best teams win it on you know their worst nights you know you can't win it but you can you can't win a championship like that but you can certainly lose it and what they did was just basically take it out of the question they took it out and took out any chance of that possibility happening that makes you know what happened in game one look in the past for right now okay If they can clinch it on their home floor, then that takes everything they did uh, poorly against Milwaukee, everything earlier on in this series against Miami. That puts it in the rear view. And that puts you, if you get out of the series, it puts you, you know, in a totally new season where four wins gives you a championship. And obviously health has been absolutely huge. Um, Obviously looking at Marcus Smart, missing a game with the sprained foot, Um, Jason Tatum had a little bit of a scare with the stinger and then Robert Williams being in and out and essentially day to day, uh, just taking care of that knee off of meniscus surgery. But I look at Robert Williams as he's the ultimate X factor uh, in this series. You know, I mentioned it again about uh, Bam out of bio, but the fact that his presence alone is making the heat shy away from the paint and getting shots at the rim in general I think is absolutely huge. He doesn't even have to play phenomenal. He doesn't have to be that lob threat. He doesn't have to be, you know, that big time defender, but just having him in the lineup is getting into the heat's mind. You know, obviously it helps that he's chasing down corner threes and blocking them out of bounds and uh, playing strong against, you know, guys like PJ Tucker and bam out of bio. Um, So, you know, that, that helps for the uh, Celtics lineup. In general, but I think in this series in general, I think full credit has to go to two guys. It has to go to two key rotation pieces, and that's Al Horford and Derek White. Okay, now everyone was saying, Derek White, how are we going to win without him? He had to go leave for the birth of his baby. No panic. There was no panic. It's always next man up. And look what happened. He's got that, you know, quote unquote, new dad energy. And in his last two games, He scored a total of 27 points, nine rebounds, nine assists, and five steals. I mean, this is what the Celtics were expecting when they made that deadline trade with San Antonio. They came in, they expected him to be an incredible two-way player. And look at what he's done. He's passing the ball very well. He's a strong defender. And he's finally being aggressive. He's not settling. I mean, he scored the first seven points of game four for crying out loud. He was seven. It was seven, nothing Derek white over the Miami heat. And I think that's what the Celtics were expecting when they made the trade 
with uh, Greg Popovich and the San Antonio Spurs was coming back and bringing an incredible two-way player. Just when he came along in his first, uh, in his stint so far with Boston, we haven't seen the offensive side of things. Now he's sort of in a groove and you heard it in the post game where you hear Tatum, Smart, Brown, Udoka, they're telling him, hey, be aggressive, be yourself because he's a great defender, but the offense was lacking. And now that he's comfortable and he's in a rhythm, I think he's going to be crucial for any kind of long stretch that the Celtics want to have to get to a championship is him coming off the bench, you know, filling in for smart when he has to. And that way the Celtics won't have to lose a step at all. You know, Marcus smart can still do Marcus smart things, but when you have a guy in Derek white who can come in at any time and give you that same aggressiveness on both sides of the floor, then you're golden essentially in that lineup. So credit goes to Derek white and also credit goes to Al Horford, you know, Everyone, it got amplified in the Milwaukee series when he put up 30 points and was basically stifling the Greek freak. But in this series, I arguably, I think he's arguably making his case for best defender on the team. No disrespect for the defensive player of the year to Marcus Smart or to Robert Williams or to Grant Williams, but Horford has been the best defender in the series. Okay. The fact that He's switching on to guys like Jimmy Butler and on to Bam Adebayo. And he's basically made him look like nothing. They made him look like nothing. And on the other side of the floor, the fact of him, you know, off the ball, setting screens, making the right reads, knocking down the key baskets when they have to. I think that's huge for this Celtics team. So I say, you know, I know there's talks about, you know, the conference MVP. Everyone's saying, oh, in the Western Conference, the Magic Johnson Award's got to go to Steph Curry. If you ask me, I think the Eastern Conference Award, which is named after Larry Bird, I think the Larry Bird uh, MVP has to go to Al Horford. That that would just be my thing. I know they're going to look at the stats and all that and probably give it to, like, Jason Tatum or something like that if the Celtics win. But if it were me... I'd be looking at Al Horford saying that guy is just as worthy as Jason Tatum, as Jalen Brown, as Marcus Smart, as all of those guys. So I think those two guys are so instrumental as to where the Celtics are right now with a 3-2 lead over the Miami Heat. Derek White and Al Horford. And honestly, as I said, this is a team that I think ends this on Friday night. They end it on their home floor. They win it in six games. They go to the NBA Finals. And if you ask me, when these pieces are playing at their max potential and they're not having these lulls and these kind of stretches of games where they're just, they can't hit the side of a barn and they can actually defend, I think you take those things away and they are the NBA title favorites. I don't want to get too cocky, but, you know, over Golden State or over Dallas, I would favor them, to be totally honest, when they're playing at their potential. Now, can they do that? Well, let's let's first have them win this Miami series, which, as I said, I think they'll do. Let's see them get to the finals. They'll be able to get some rest. Robert Williams will be able to get that knee healthy. Smart will get his foot healthy. Everyone will hopefully get as healthy as they can be for a highly intense NBA Finals matchup. But as I said, let's see them beat Miami first, and then we can talk about championship expectations. Let's talk about that. But a team that also had championship expectations were the Boston Red Sox. And that's the second and final team in the Boston area that we will talk about. Because what a tale of two teams, essentially. I mean, we talk about the Hurricanes being two totally different teams on home, on the road. Let's look at the first probably month of the season. And let's look at the past month of the season. This is a completely different Red Sox team. They have been on fire and they are now salvaging their season. This was a team that I believe was 10 and 20 at one point or like 11 and 19, something like that. And now here they are coming off of a five game winning streak, a six game winning streak, I should say, coming off a six game winning streak. I know they lost last night uh, to the White Sox, but it was tight. It was tight three to one that loss, but This is a team 
that is on fire and is salvaging their season. Why? Because Trevor Story is starting to look like Trevor Story. This is the guy that everyone in Boston, in management, and even in the coaching staff expected to get when you signed him for six years and $140 million. It just, it took a little while for him to find sort of that momentum, but here he is with six home runs in his last six games, including an unreal three home run and stolen base game against Seattle, which is the first time that's happened at all in franchise history. But when you look at Trevor's story, at least in my eyes, He's similar to Giancarlo Stan in that type of boom or bust where he's going to give you uh, home runs. He's going to give you power, but he's also going to strike out a lot. So I think it's just Red Sox fans getting used to that kind of player of he's going to boom and he's going to hit for power and he's going to rack up the RBIs, but he's also going to kill you in terms of a bunch of strikeouts. So that's what I see with Trevor Story. He's going to be that key contributor that's going to help out the power lineup. He's going to help out the power in that lineup with Devers, Bogarts, and Martinez. But then everyone else in the lineup, they're starting to be key contributors. And when I say key contributors, that just means they got to get hits and they got to get on base and they got to have timely hits. You know, it's nice at times when you guys like Kike Hernandez and Christian Vasquez going yard and Franchi Cordero hitting a walk-off grand slam, which, by the way, so far in the early parts of the season has been the moment of the year for this Red Sox team, that walk-off grand slam. The fact that Franchi Cordero didn't have a walk-off hit. He had a walk-off grand slam on Sunday afternoon against the Seattle Mariners. Now, granted, the Red Sox shouldn't have been in that at all if Hansa Robles just kept the lead uh, with two outs in the ninth. And didn't give up a home run to Eugenio Suarez. But regardless, that moment is the moment of the year. So the lineup is starting to find the groove that we saw in previous years. You got your power hitters plus Trevor Story. You got Kike Hernandez, who's starting to heat up. And then you've got other guys like Verdugo, Vasquez, whoever plays first base uh, between Cordero and Dahlbeck. And then Jackie Bradley Jr. They're starting to get timely hits and it's not necessarily you know going yard because they can do that once in a while but it's just a matter of drawing the walks getting the singles getting the doubles and just getting on base because because then it eventually leads to two three four five six who will have those power moments and that's how you score more than five runs each game you know that was the problem was that your power hitters were hitting solo home runs and they were getting RBIs at one or two. Now they're getting three RBIs. You know, that's what helps on the offensive side of things. For the pitching side of things, you know, Michael Walker's back in the rotation. He's still looking like Michael Walker. Nathan Evaldi threw out that uh, performance against uh, the Astros where he had five home runs in an inning. Rich Hill is still giving you five good innings of work. You know, even though he did give up that three-run home run and eventually got the loss in that game, the starting rotation is still pitching well. The problem is the bullpen. The bullpen, as I said last week, with um, with the big-time moments where you have to keep the lead close or win the game with a close lead, that's the problem that the bullpen faces. And you st- And don't get me wrong, you still got guys who have been playing well like Jake Diekman, he's played well recently. Um, other guys like Schreiber, who came up from uh, AAA Worcester, he's been good recently. But in terms of a full stretch of a season, the bullpen has to learn to keep close leads. Keep close leads and keep games in general close. And we haven't seen that uh, so far this season. So you have to look at guys like Davis, like Robles, you know, you're seeing guys like Brazier who were essentially being called on to be the closer. Now he's down in AAA, you know, that's what I think has to happen with uh, the Boston Red Sox. That's the last thing. And then this team can get back to their winning ways is the bullpen pitching well in close games. But the good news for the Red Sox is not only is it only May going to be June, 
because there's still more time left in the season, but they are getting overshadowed by the fact that the Celtics are just that much closer to an NBA championship. As we always do to end our show, it's our LOL moment of the week. And we are going back to the NBA Conference Finals because while it is extremely competitive between two teams looking for a berth in the NBA Finals, there's got to be some fun to find in these kind of moments. And the fun comes off of the court. So this week's LOL moment of the week goes to... Jalen Brunson from the Dallas Mavericks. Now, the way that he earns a spot is that this was post-game. Game four, the Mavericks win, and now the series is 3-1. to one. And what happens uh, on Inside the NBA is they'll bring a guy out um, from the winning team to talk about the victory. And in this case, Brunson was the guy. He was brought up there with Ernie, Kenny, Charles, and Shaq. And it was Barkley who asked the question that led to this moment. Take a look at this. Well, you, you had a hell of a series, a hell of a playoff run, but my biggest question is, have you surpassed your dad as the best oh, player? On, stop that, man. His dad was a passer, not a scorer. <laughs> but that wasn't even a player compared to me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see him downstairs. We'll tell him <laughs> So you would have gave it to your dad. That's what you I said. Thought, I thought you were taking offense at the question that how could somebody say that about my dad? And then I mean, you yeah, doubled down on it. Yeah, no. that's, a, that's offensive. You took, he, he took it offensively. No, no. Yes, Jalen Brunson has some fun and says he has surpassed his dad, Rick Brunson, in terms of success. Now, let's just keep this in mind. Jalen Brunson uh, has earned his first uh, conference finals trip this is a dude who's been i believe two years in the league two years two playoffs with dallas this is the furthest he's been and obviously he's a national champion with villanova but his dad rick who is a nine-year nba vet he says that in his first two years of playing basketball in the nba he surpassed his dad who's played nine years come on Shaylin. Come on, I know you're poking fun at your dad, and I know you won a national championship at Villanova, and you're here in the conference finals as arguably the second-best player on the Dallas Mavericks. You're going to get a lot of money wherever you sign. But the fact that you're saying you're surpassing your dad already in year three, year two or three, when your dad has already played nine years, come on, that's ridiculous. You know, I, I get this is sort of a fun thing for, for Jalen Brunson. I get it. He's poking fun at his dad. They're probably going to have a laugh about this, uh, about this post-game interview. And I know he was sort of chuckling at that part. And even Kenny was defending Rick Brunson, saying, like, come on, these are two different players. Um, so, I, so I get that this is sort of going to be a fun question. And I think that's essentially what uh, maybe Barkley was looking for. You know, maybe he was looking for that kind of headline or maybe he was looking for that funny moment. But come on, this is a dude, Charles Barkley, who basically loves the Dallas Mavericks fans. He hates the Golden State Warriors fans. I mean, come on. Chuck came in on a horse before game three. He came in on a horse to the inside the NBA uh, set. So let's not talk about the fact. Well, let's, let's not argue the point that Charles Barkley is basically in love with uh, the Dallas Mavericks uh, community and their fan base. So there is a reason why he asked if Chuck, uh, he asked if Jalen had surpassed his dad, Rick. So Jalen Brunson for saying that in year three, you're already better career-wise than your dad spent nine years in the league. You have earned yourself into this week's LOL moment of the week.
that wraps it up once again for another edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you are getting this podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure, as always, you follow our pages on social media. We got Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.